morning. Grace and peace to you. Just want to share with you for a moment. Uh, on Thursday, I think we mentioned this last Sunday morning. On Thursday, your brother in Christ, Gary Mathers, was released from the Northern Correctional Facility. And uh, we were privileged, Shirley and myself, Don and Janet and Jane, and Ron was there too, to be there. And uh, met his uh, daughter and her husband. Just uh, for me, it was very, I don't know what the word is. It, it was exciting, it was thrilling, but it was also very odd. Uh, you know, you get to used to seeing a person in a certain place. And uh, he was in a different place because he was out of the facility. When he came out, we were there, and he was smiling. And, but you could tell that he was, I guess, nervous, not knowing what to do. Uh, his parole officer was with him. Uh, and uh, I can only imagine, Shirley and I were talking, the thoughts that were going through his head. There's all kind of thoughts going through my head. What kind of adjustments must he have now to make after 20-some years in that facility? Uh, so anyway, please remember Brother Gary in your prayers. The Lord is willing someday. He said he's going to be here with us. Uh, worship uh, and we don't know when that might be but please remember him in your prayers all right if you want to turn to Acts 1 we're going to be there uh, continuing our thoughts in this series uh, remembering our beginnings and uh, we talked last time about trying to stay focused on the, the fact that uh, the body of Christ, the church, had a beginning, had a historical beginnings in, in time, on the earth, in real people, in human beings. That, the God, that is what God has chosen to work out all of this uh, on the earth. Uh, this uh, salvation concept, uh, bringing his creation, his creatures to life eternal. Uh, but he created a being that was like him in some ways, but not like him in other ways. They, they were given this body, this body of dust. But also, uh, then there were heavenly aspects of this. God, of course, being involved, Jesus dying for us, giving us life, and uh, we're having the soul inside and then being filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, so the two, uh, the historical and the heavenly cannot be separated. Uh, they were never meant to be separated. And I think this is what is talked about. Death is a separation of the soul from the body. It's death. And we look forward to when those two will be brought back together in the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, in a new body, a spiritual body, We'll have life, but not just life, but life eternal. 
We noted last time that Jesus was with the, uh, the 11 at that point on the mountain before he ascended, and he wanted them to remain in Jerusalem to receive power from on high. And uh, we noted the three things about uh, the kingdom, if you will, the church, that are foundational to it. Uh, we have a purpose. The first thing is we have a master to serve, Jesus. He is the head of the church. He is the lamb who died for the church. Uh, all things are his. And so he is the one that we need to follow. We have this message about this kingdom, this new arrangement that God brought into the world, or was bringing into the world, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, the church of God, whatever you want to say. The scripture does not say this is the only name for it. That this is where the saved will be. These are those who will be God's people. These are the those who will be fighting against evil in all of its forms and trying to bring others in as well as history moves along and moves toward that day of judgment. And then we have that mission to take that message into the world. The uh, disciples were in particular told that they would be witnesses. Of course, they were eyewitnesses, but they were to be witnesses to take that message into the world, into all the world, beginning in Jerusalem. And we're looking at these historical beginnings and realizing and trying to connect that these are our forefathers. They were given this charge, and we walk in their footsteps spiritually even today. And uh, as, we, as we noted, you know, this world today is getting further and further away from the Lord God and from his word. And uh, even more, people need to hear this message of the truth. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about the kingdom. They need to hear about right and wrong, what is morally, morally upright, and the warnings about future destruction, the hopes, and the rewards that there are for serving the Lord. And they need to have these foundational truths on how to make the right decisions in life. With that being said, let's go to Acts 1 and verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. That's about six-tenths of a mile. When they had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, these all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together, and said, and we're going to stop there for a moment. just want to set, set the stage here. We, we want to go back in time and try to be there with these folks. Um, the 11 had just been 
on the mountain when Jesus ascended. And we, we can imagine when they came into that upper room what they would have told those who were there. You know, we saw him ascend. He, he left. He just, he just went up from the, from the earth and, and disappeared into heaven. And then the, the two men came and told us he's going to come back again in the same way. And we could hear, you know, there would be discussion about that and oohs and ahs and so forth. And then, and then reality set in. He's gone. He's gone. Shirley and I were reading, it's in John 16, and where Jesus was trying to tell them about things that were to happen. And uh, he said, in a little while I'll be gone, but then I'll come back, and then, a little, and then in another while I'll be gone, and you can't go where I'm going. And they're all discussing, what on earth is he talking about? And he was talking about the fact he's going to die, he's going to be in the ground, he's going to be resurrected, but then he's going to go back to his father. And so now they're starting to see some of this being played out. And now they realize he's gone. And uh, I was trying to think about that, what they must have been thinking and or feeling. Uh, you know, they were... Once they realized when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, they were so excited. They were thrilled. He was with them now for some 40 days. And they were kind of probably just getting used to the fact, well, he's back. He's back. He's with us. And then he's, no, I'm leaving again. How empty they must have felt to know he's, he's not going to be back in our lifetime. I think they were pretty sure of that. Some argue uh, that you know, they thought he was going to come back pretty soon, but he was gone now. And he had given them a promise and a commandment. And I think most of us have been there at some point in our lives where we felt this great loss. Someone in our life was gone, and they weren't coming back whether it was by death, maybe for some, uh, in a military, some deployment that was going to last a long time. Uh, you know, sometimes families break up and the husband or wife says, I'm not coming back. Terrible thing. Terrible loss. Sometimes you just don't know what to do. And I think this is probably where they were at this point. They're in, they're in this upper room. I don't know if it's the same one where they had the supper or not. It's a pretty big room, evidently. There's about 120 folks there. But we've got, you know, the 11 and the women and Jesus' mother and brothers. And I want us to go to Luke 8 for just a moment. So I want to talk about those women, those ladies. I think they're overlooked often in Jesus' ministry. What an important role they played uh, in serving him and in serving the twelve as they went about their business. In Luke 8, 1, it says, Soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. 
and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chosa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Sometimes we tend to overlook the role that the ladies play and the good sisters play in, in the congregation. And I think uh, we should never do that. Uh, you know, it's nice to be able to get up in front and teach or lead the singing or, you know, as we would say, make the decisions. But there are so many that go into supporting all that goes on. And we don't want, want to forget that, and we don't want anybody to discount, well, this is all I can do, you know. These ladies were just contributing from their private means, whatever that was, money, no doubt, and maybe some other ways of support, and they were with them. They were with these brothers as they went about from place to place. And I could see that these ladies were probably the ones taking care of the meals and the cooking, I'm guessing, and other things like that. You know, uh, God made us with a body, didn't he? That body has to be taken care of, and that body's not taken care of. What happens? It gets sick and it doesn't function properly, and you can't do what you need to do. And so that it's also important, and I'm not just saying ladies only do domestic things, because that's not true, but it's just very important what, what all this support is needed, and especially as we're talking about the sisters. They do a great work, and these ladies did a great work for the Lord and his, his disciples. Then it says his brothers were there. You know, we're, we're getting some detail here. Let's go to John 7. What about his brothers? First, first, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. He was unwilling to walk in Judea because of the Jews who were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booze, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you're doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now here's the, the line, the thought, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Isn't that interesting? From the very beginning, his brothers were not believing in him that he was the Christ, the Son of God. But over time, we don't have a lot of detail about this, but over time, they obviously came to believe. They heard the message. They saw the signs. And, you know, when anyone hears Jesus' message and sees the signs and believes those are from God, if you're honest, you have to make that decision. Yes, he is who he said he was. The I am the Christ. And so I br bring that in just to say there's always hope. 
I know many of us have family and friends who we wish they were Christian, obeyed the gospel, and uh, here Jesus' brother, his, his brothers who live with him didn't believe him in the beginning, but now we see that they are there and they believe in him. So there's always hope as we live our lives, take opportunities to teach, do good, pray, that hearts will open. And then more reality sets in as we think about Jesus and all his ministry. There's about 120 persons. Think about that. What about that five, crowd of 5,000 that he fed? And the crowd of 4,000 that he fed? And other crowds that followed him going down the road all the time? Now there's, there's 120. Do you think they were disappointed, maybe? Wondering? You know, what, what can we do? Is, is this it? Is this all there is? When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the story of Gideon. Remember Gideon? He was called to dispatch the Midianites, drive them out from Israel. And when he showed up the first time, he had too many men. And God whittled them down to how many? Who remembers the story? Nobody? 300? 300. And he attacked the Midianite camp and surprised them. Remember the pitchers and so forth. Sword of the Lord and Gideon. And they, they just went crazy. They began killing one another and they dispatched them. You've probably heard the expression, you and the Lord make a majority. And it's true. And we, you know, we look back. This, this was the fact in the beginning of us. The body of Christ, the church, that was to conquer the world, and there was about 120 people. That was it. But look what God has done. This should give us faith. This should give us trust in God cause us to look to him and not to ourselves to do the work. Yeah, we've got to do it, but we're trusting that he will help us and guide us to do it, give us the strength to do it. A couple of keys here in this group of 120. With the 11 and those, those faithful women, Jesus' mother and brothers. It says there, they were all with one mind. Some translations there have a chord, but uh, it, this doesn't just mean they were getting along. This, the word there means they were all of one purpose, one mind. They knew that they were called together to do something. 
And they all had that in their mind that this is what we are called to do. We have a purpose here. And as we were saying, you know, they knew about Jesus. They were following him. Uh, the 11 had been given this task to witness. They had this mission, and they were in total agreement on that. This is why we're here. That's what they were, they were thinking. You know, sometimes congregations uh, get stagnant because they forget the purpose for which they are to serve the Lord. They get drawn off into doing this thing or that thing, maybe something pretty good, but they forget the main purpose why they are called together, and that is to have this mission to take the gospel into the world. Yes, we'll be filled with good works wherever we go, but the ultimate goal is to proclaim the gospel and to tell people about Jesus. And so they, were, they had one mind, they, were, they had one purpose here, and they understood that. And then this, continually devoting themselves to prayer. To prayer. What else could they do at this point, you might say? They were told to wait, weren't they? You to wait until you receive power from on high. But I also believe that they knew that they couldn't do this by themselves. And that's why they were praying. Lord, show us what to do. Lord, help us to do what you want us to do. Lord, keep us strong. Because we know there's going to be adversity. Jesus had told them there would be adversity. You know, you have, in the world you have tribulation, he said, didn't he? Then he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So, you know, here's lessons for us, and this is one reason we're going back. You know, small number. They were trusting God. They remembered their purpose. They were all in agreement on this. This is what we're supposed to be about. And they were in prayer constantly. God, show us what to do. Keep us together. Give us the strength. Give us the wisdom to do your work. All right, let's move on. Verse 16. Peter, remember, Peter's standing up. He's taking a leadership role here. He says, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so in their own language, that field was called Hakadamah, that is, field of blood. You know, this was, in my mind, probably kind of painful for them, especially the 11. It was a solemn reminder. You know, it, it's interesting that, that Peter says that, that uh, Judas received his share in this ministry, meaning going about with Jesus and the, tw and the other 11, with 12. He was chosen. He had a part in that. He was there. He saw. He heard. But look what happened to him because it says of his wickedness. 
And this was a warning for them, wasn't it? When they faced that fact, this one of our own not only fell, fell away, but he betrayed our master. And a warning, a solemn warning to all of them, you know what? This could happen to any one of us. We need to be on our guard that we don't fall away as well. And in fact, I was just, I, as I was reading that, I was wondering if all of them, in particular Peter, and give Peter credit here, that when he stood up to bring this before them, that they all didn't have a little twinge of guilt because they all had forsaken Jesus in the garden, hadn't they? Every last one of them. And Peter denied him three times. He said, I don't even know the man, and he cursed and swore. So you know what? He came pretty near to walking away, didn't he? But he didn't. But you can imagine what he might have thought. James 4, 6 and 7. But he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, just real quickly, we could expand on that, but here's, here's the thought here. We need not to be proud and think we can do things and stand on our own. We can figure it out on our, by ourselves. We need to submit to God. Resist the devil. Resist him. That might require prayer. That might require tears. That might require doing some things that you're not used to doing to resist. A serious thing to sin and fall away from the Lord. So they were reminded of this as Peter stands up and talks about Judas. And then verse 20, he goes on to say, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Judas' place had to be filled. There was a great task at hand. It's like the next man up, all right, who, who, who can take his place. And here we see the qualifications, if you will, for an apostle. Of the men who have accompanied us from the time the Lord Jesus went in and out, the baptism of John until he was taken up. All that interim time, all the teaching, they were there uh, for the signs. They saw the miracles, the crucifixion, and saw the risen Christ. That would be a person who was there who could be an apostle who did that. Some people today take the title of apostle Whatever that is supposed to mean, I don't know. 
in some of these particular groups. But it is not the apostle as defined here. Because there's no one alive who was in and out with Jesus from his baptism and saw the resurrected Christ. I think you can see that. So there are no apostles living today. But Judas had to be replaced. Verse 23, so they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord know who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is really the first thing this group did besides pray after Jesus left to replace Judas. We might think, you know, all these, you know, among the 120, there were probably several there that might have the qualifications for an apostle. But for some reason, they chose these two. We're not told why. Maybe they had uh, proven themselves in some way. Uh, and they put them forward as the, the possible replacements. Now, I just wanted to, to point this out. We got the one fellow... Joseph, called Barsabas, who's also called Justice. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we get confused because some people have different names. Remember, Peter had the name Peter, Cephas, and Simon. So we shouldn't get all upset when we see in one place this fellow has this name, and in another place he has a different name, because it was obviously a very common thing in those days that you had more than one name. Sometimes the Hebrew name, an Aramaic name, and then your maybe Roman citizenship name or something like that. So they had different names. Anyway, that's a little aside there. But they picked two, and then what they do? They prayed. These were a praying bunch. <laughs> yes, they were. They weren't doing anything without the help of God. And they said, Lord, you know which one you pick? Which, which one do you, do you think is the best one? You, you know, as he said there, you know the hearts of all men, and I don't think that's to say that they thought either one of these two guys were not genuine or they wouldn't do the work or whatever, or they weren't Judases. I don't think that's the thought here. But just, you know, which one is the best one to take his place and then, of course, to, to go out with the others to spread the gospel? And they cast the lots... Interesting, that's how they did it. They cast the lots. Uh, rolled dice there, right in the middle of the group. No, I don't. Maybe not. I don't, we don't even know what that was, but it was something like that. And the lot came out for Math Matthias, and see, he's numbered with the twelve. And then I was made this thought: I wonder if Joseph Barsabas got mad because he didn't get picked. I think not. I think he was just fine with that choosing, God choosing Matthias, and he would go on to serve and wherever he was called to serve. So here we are. 120 
people, believers in an upper room, told to wait. I don't think they're told how long they're supposed to wait. But they're just told to wait there. You'll be given power from on high. And there's a job that I want you to do. They were with one accord. They were praying. And they're waiting. And Lord willing, next week we're going to see what happens. But again, the thought is, there weren't very many. They had had their troubles. They had a traitor in their midst. But they realized they had a task. And they were completely trusting God, whatever you want us to do and however you want us to do it, we're going to be there. And they were all of one mind and one accord to do that. These were the beginnings of the church, of the kingdom. Very small. Very small in number. But as you read later on in Acts, someone expressed the concern, look, look, these people have come here too, these who have over, overturned the world. Even in such a short few years, this message of the gospel, through these people working, God working through them, it overcome the world. What a powerful message it is, and it's the same message we have today. It hasn't changed. And it still has power to change people and to change the world. And that's what the world needs to hear today. And people needs to hear. We had the message not too long ago. One matters one at a time. One at a time. That's the way they did it. This morning, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with life, problems, troubles, my first thought to you is, are you praying to God to guide you like these early Christians? Absolutely trusting him for everything. You need to do that. You need to turn to the scriptures and study. Know what God wants you to do. If you need uh, to come this morning for prayer, we're here to assist you as a body of Christ. Uh, believers together, loving one another, trying to do what the Lord wants us to do. We don't always do it perfectly, but we try with his help. If anyone here wants to rededicate their life to Christ Jesus, we, we can assist you with that. If you realize you've been on the wrong path, sitting by the side of the road, not very diligent, and you want to redevote yourself, that would be a good thing. If you want to obey the gospel this morning and become a Christian, become a, a member of this group that was so small at the beginning, but spread throughout the world and now we have the same task to do to proclaim this message and to fight against evil then uh, we can assist you with that as well as brother Don leads us if you want to come this morning please come while we stand and sing <laughs>